Psalms. So turn with me to Psalm. You're like, what chapter is it? Well, it's up on the screen now, so there's no surprise now. Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. And I'm not going to read all 18 verses. I'm going to read the first 11, and then we'll read verses 12 through 18. A little bit further into the study. But Psalm chapter 10, starting with verse 1. If you're joining us online, grab your Bible as well. Starting with verse 1, Psalm chapter 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in lurking places of the villages and the secret places. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies and waits secretly as a lion in his den. He lies and waits to catch the poor. He catches the poor when, they, uh, when he draws a net, draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, so that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God is forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this time and your word. We thank you, Jesus, that we have your word, which is indeed a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you that, Lord, you've given us these instructions that we might know you more, that we might know you in the, in the person of Jesus, our Savior, but Lord, also that we may know you and grow in you. And Lord, we desire to grow tonight nearer to you, less of us, more of you. I pray, Lord, that you would give me your help, your strength, your wisdom, your insight, Lord, your anointing for, Lord, I could never present what you wanted without the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I ask for your help. I ask that you'd uh, soften every heart, Lord, remove every distraction, open our eyes that we might hear from you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. It's good to be back in this uh, selection from the Psalms study. Uh, a few weeks back, we looked at Psalm chapter 1, we looked at Psalm chapter 2, and now we jump eight chapters forward to Psalm chapter 10. It's impossible to find an unimportant psalm they're all important. Matter of fact, they're equally important, or God wouldn't have put them in the Bible. They're all inspired by the Word of God. And each psalm is able to impart some aspect of wisdom and understanding, or warning, or comfort, or courage, or help, or all of them. Some psalms have all of them in a psalm. Yet, as we discussed at the outset of the series, when I kind of did an overview, there's quite a bit of overlap and repetition throughout the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you say, yeah, I think I've read something like this, or rep repetitive words. But there, of course, in different Psalms, there's different focus areas. 
But that central theme I mentioned in the overview, if you go back to that first night in the overview, I mentioned that that central theme is us as believers or people of God. In the Old Testament, they were the children of God or the people of God. Being here in the real world, being able to move through the real world, and yet have this continuous roadmap of encouragement from God that we can not only make it in the world around us, but even thrive and be strong in the Lord in spite of what's going on around us. Amen? That's what God's given us all of His Word for in, in that sense. And we definitely see some real-world scenarios here in chapter 10. I don't know if you noticed we also have the perspective here in chapter 10 that God wants us to maintain. As we look outward at the world around us, it's hard to miss what's going on around us. But more importantly, as we look upward to God, and then we look inward by faith, by the direction of His Word, by the counsel of His Spirit, that settles us and sanctifies us in spite of everything swirling around us and even, not just around us, but actually touching us and buffeting us. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, this evening. <laughs> the days are running together for me. Confident that He alone is Lord over all. Confident that He alone is Lord over all. Now, we're, we'll rarely have the time on these Wednesday services, which are a little bit shorter than our Sunday service. We'll rarely have the time to delve into every verse. We'll try and read them all, or most of them at least. But I do want us to glean the essence of what God is saying to those that are willing to listen and willing to apply what's been written. I hope that is all of us. So we began by reading verses 1 through 11 where the psalmist observes the world around him. And it's not a pretty picture. It appears to be unjust, unfair, and on the surface that God is even perhaps uninvolved and uninterested in it all. In verse 1, begins with a word that's repeated twice that's been said literally billions and billions of times and expresses exactly how we feel more times than we express it or more times than we care to admit. Look back at verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? And there's the word, why? Why? Why is a favorite word of toddlers? Those of you still have little kids. Ours are grown up, but I remember it well. Why, Dad? Why, Dad? Why, Mom? Why, Mom? Why? Mom got way more wise than I did. Like 75% of the wise went to her, 25% to me. The few that went to me went straight over to her anyway, right? <laughs> why, 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 why? But it's also in the mind of adults too, isn't it? 
the wide variety of experiences that we have and what we view in life, we're asking why. Some are really specific to us personally. They're their own, our own personal why questions to the Lord. Some are common across cultures and nations and even the world. Many are asking right now, why is inflation soaring? I can give you my reasons. You can give me your reasons. Someone else can give their reasons. Why are the prices of gas going up? Why do some people get sick from COVID and other people don't? Why are some asymptomatic and some very symptomatic? Why is there a coin shortage at this store but not this store? That's one I ask. One of the mysteries of 2022. Like I was just next door and they don't have a coin shortage and you say there's a national corn shortage. We have two daughters in the college years, one that's on the way, and we get to annually now fill out the financial aid tool. It's called the FAFSA form. It comes from the federal government. It's a joy. Um, so it's just as fun as doing your taxes. It's just that, that, not that much fun. But it's the only way to apply for certain scholarships, grants, which we never get, loans, but every year I find myself midway through the process of going through this tool where I'm, I'm like, all right, the NSA knows everything about me. Why am I even doing this? Why is it designed like this? Is another question I have. My wife can attest. She's like, you've got to stop asking why. <laughs> you ask why about everything. I'm like, who designed this? Why is a question for all of us. Because unlike God, we... We neither see everything, nor do we know everything. That's why we ask why. So we're often wondering or asking that question, why? But when we've come to truly believe in God, truly believe on God, truly believe that God is sovereign, truly believe that God is holy, we truly believe that God created everything, that he sits above everything, that he sees everything, do you believe that? you believe that online? And yet we still see pain. We still see suffering. We still see cruelty. And we wonder why. Don't we? We see calamity. And we have the same response as the psalmist. Why, God? We can see in the text what's bothering him. I say him because all the scriptures were written by male authors, although God spoke through many females in the Bible, but all were written by men. But the opening two sentences, you see them. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? And why do you hide in times of trouble? It's as if to say, God, you seem distant. Removed from what's actually going on in the world. Even hiding yourself when there's trouble and there's wars and there's brewing and there's things that are unfolding. Where are you? I think that sums up the nation and the world around us, right? A lot of things troubling. They're already here. Some are brewing. They're coming. The writer goes on to list out things that, that he sees that could lead you and I to believe, just for a second, you're really saved. You, you totter, but you land correctly. Right? 
all been there. But it could lead you to believe for a second that, that maybe evil is winning and that righteousness is losing. Looks that way at times. That evil is triumphing. And the presence of God and his people are just fading off the scene. Look at verse 2 and 3. The wicked and his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plans which they have devised. Verse 3. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. When a heart is still dead in trespasses and sin, and your God is in fact yourself, you can believe the lie that you're actually better than and more valuable than other people. That's how someone could actually come up with a concept of human slavery. I'm better than you. I'm more important than you. More valuable. Of course, it's a lie straight from hell itself. And although what we say, uh, this is for all of us here, although what we say with our mouth is very important. It's very important to have the Holy Spirit guarding our mouth that the things that come about our, out of our mouth are pure and kind and true. So it's very important what comes out of our mouth, but for especially us as believers, but we can see it in all people. How we live, it's one thing for how people talk and what they say about themselves, but how we live, oh, that really expresses what we really believe. Amen? Talk is really cheap. When you see how someone really lives, you say this. Yeah, you all, if you grew up in the 70s, it was normal. Do as I say, not as I do. Right? Horrible statement. It's definitely not something God wants us to live by. It might make you feel good about that I put it in context. Just don't do what I do. But it doesn't really help. It's still a bad example. But when you look at how people actually live, and, and so the writer is looking out at the world and he sees the wicked and what they're doing and what their heart's desires are. He sees the exploitation of the poor and the needy. But there's always been poor and there's always been marginalized people and groups that have been exploited by the rich and the powerful. Always. Well, at least as soon as there was actually enough of the, uh, the size of mankind that you know, some people could oppress other people. Now, certainly not all rich and powerful people have done this and do this. I'm thankful for stories of men like Joseph in the Bible. He's number two to Pharaoh. He, he, wasn't, he didn't operate that way. Job didn't operate that way. Abraham didn't operate that way. King David didn't, except for one little brief fall, and then you can see where power went to his head for just, a, you know, he repented of all that. But in a general sense, uh, we have people in the Bible that God gave those things, and they didn't abuse it. But there's a long history of those with, with great possessions in this world that enrich themselves by those who didn't have much and they enrich themselves through their effort and their sweat and their toil. Even today, according to the International Labor Organization, 
Do you know over 40 million people right now in the world are in some form of human slavery? 40 million. I, I think it's probably more. We know that it's at least that. You think about the drug lords and the cartels. They extort poor people to smuggle drugs. They extort poor people they, with human trafficking. You have millions of people working long hours for low wages in China, India, Mexico, and numerous third world nations. Those are facts. Indisputable facts. Many of those factories in these other countries belong to iconic American companies. You're probably wearing some of them right now. Or some of them are in your purse or in your pocket as a device. They're iconic American companies in technology, clothing, consumer products. Companies whose senior executives have become exponentially wealthy. But they'll tell you how much they care about everybody else. And aside from some virtue signaling, signaling which everyone in America seems to be getting better and better at, but worse about actual virtue, many don't care one bit for the poor and suffering of people. Adding a fifth home anymore is not greed. It's just the good life. Now, I know that most of you cannot even fathom adding a second home. That's why I cannot watch award shows anymore with people who have six and seven homes telling us how much they care about this, that, or the other. And I, I want them to be saved. I'm just saying the hypocrisy, God sees it, you see it, Certainly the Lord sees it. And as the rich and connected reward the rich and connected, that's what he's saying here. He says uh, he blesses the greedy, renounces the Lord. He blesses the greedy. This is the old boys club. Not the only. There's lots of different. The aristocracy. The high caste. If you were in India, they have the lowest caste. But as the rich and connected, they reward the rich and connected. They're in the bubble of their own wealth. They're in the inflated view of themselves. And they're completely detached from the suffering of those living hand to mouth. Even when I spent 15 years in corporate America, I was never rich, but I did get to meet a lot of very rich people, even some billionaires. Uh, I met a lot of people that had money, but even at my own level, my own middle class level, for the most part, what I met outside the body of Christ, and there was a few exceptions to this rule, so there's always exceptions to the rule, even among the unsaved world, even among political parties, there's always exceptions to every rule. So, that aside, for the most part, everyone I met hung out with their strata of income everywhere I met, went in the country. People that made 150 k hung out with everybody else in that range. People that made this amount hung out with everybody else in that range. People that made this much hung out with everybody in that range. People that made this much hung out with everybody in that range. Until you get to the body of Christ. Every wall is broken down. Every skin color is broken down. The sexes are broken down. The finance... Because I'm like, I knew people that I was literally friends with that made way less than me and people that made more than me. That's what Jesus does. I'm saying he breaks down those barriers. 
But he's observing this. He's like, they, they just reward each other. There's so much greed. It was the same in the early 1900s with the coal and the oil and the steel and the railway workers that made the tycoons. That's why we had the game Monopoly was ever created in the first place. You ever seen the little icons? They were, they were designed directly from the front page news of that time. They made the early tycoons, the Rockefellers and the Guggenheimers and the Mellons and the Carnegies that made them astronomically rich. But the human heart hasn't changed, brother and sister. According to the Economic Policy Institute, August 2019 article, I saw this firsthand as well uh, in my years working <laughs> in different places. But executive pay in the United States, executive pay has increased 900 and 40 percent since 1978. 940 percent were that valuable. By the way, every time an executive dies of a company, it doesn't miss a beat. You ever notice that? Average worker pay in that same time rose 12 percent in that same period. Now, I'm not here to, this isn't, you know, are you going to talk about the Word of God? Yeah, I am. I, uh, <laughs> But we're talking about the real world here. Remember? Psalms are talking about the real world. This is the real world. This is what we live in. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be lights in this world. And you'll see the Hollywood celebrities tweeting from their mansions and yachts that they're standing with Ukraine. Thank you very much. I'm sure that is warming their hearts and souls. Or if Somalia, remember I was in the 80s, that We Are the World video, that made everybody feel great halfway around the world. I enjoyed the music, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying it doesn't change anything. Some in our celebrity world, they make millions from the box office receipts in China, where there's 1.4 billion people. They make millions from the box office receipts in China, and yet they won't speak out, not even say a word, for the innocent political prisoners that are in modern-day concentration camps right now. Not a couple people. Lots of people. Won't even say a word about it. Not a peep. I'm not even going to bring up Disney these days. You know, they, they're, they're, they've gone completely mad. And we have some extremely wealthy politicians, of course, with their sprawling mansions, but I don't see them inviting the poor and the downtrodden to come live on the sprawling mansion. I don't see any of that. Do you? No. They may not renounce God, as it says there in verse... Um, as it says there in verse 3. They may not renounce God. I'm talking about many people that don't know God and have resisted God. They, have, they may not renounce God publicly, although some have. I've actually heard some well-known people renounce God publicly. But to soothe the conscience, they just stay as busy as possible building empires, building images, building careers, having pleasures, having entertainment. Remember the rich man and Lazarus in the Bible? The rich man had everything. Abraham tells him in, there in hell, you had everything in that lifetime. He had nothing in that lifetime. You chose very foolishly. 
in other words. You chose to build empires. You chose to live sumptuously. You chose to never care a bit. But you would act like you care because you gave the annual United Way giving campaign. Of course you cared. You auctioned one of your baby grand pianos off. You were a member of a country club that had a raffle that was $1,000 a plate. That's how much you cared. That's what Jesus was pointing to in that rich man there in hell. You can talk, like, but, but the actions were different. He lived at your feet and you never cared. He would, the dogs were licking his wounds. But they may not publicly renounce God. But what they do is they keep so busy as to not ever have to think about God or answering to God. In verse 4, look at verse 4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. The writer, the psalmist wonders, do they even think about God? You ever have that thought? You're looking at people like, wow, have they ever even pondered that God is real? That God really will someday be there at the end of everyone's life? Now, by the way, all of us here, Oh, the online. Can't our own, let's take a, let's take a mirror look now. <laughs> so it's one thing to look at the outside world. Let's take a mirror for a second. Can't our own busyness and things that we're holding on to, or not rich, but we're holding on to this little thing, that little thing, and distractions of our own lives make us at times oblivious to God. Just going about our day, not even, not even a thought of the Lord, or His Word, or His will, or to the gospel, or to the plight of people suffering, or to the plight of souls, or to the coming, the second coming of Jesus. Can't those things just drift out of our mind because we get so focused on unimportant things? Yes. Of course. Jesus warns of all of this. I, I hope you've read the Gospels by now to know Jesus warns numerous times of this. Many of the parables are about this. The parable of the sower is always a sobering reminder to us all. Yes, I understand. I don't have time to go through the four different soil types, if you will. But we can focus on this one for just a second because it's relevant to the text that we're looking at tonight. In Matthew 13, 22, he says, Now, Jesus speaking, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And it's not just people that are rich. It's just pursuing your own little version of rich too. Right? keeping up with the Joneses. You're not trying to keep up with the Gates or the Bezos. Most of, the, most of you in the room are not trying to keep up with Elon Musk. Might be keeping up with what he's doing, but not with his wealth. But keeping up with your strata, which is the same as it being choked out. Look at verse 5, moving on. His ways are always brought, his being, you know, this worldly person that doesn't think of God. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are 
far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He sneers at them. Those who've made this world their heaven, this world is not my heaven, how about yours? This world is not my heaven. I am passing through it. It's like a rest stop. You ever been to a rest stop? You don't want to hang out there that long. I mean, it's nice enough. It has port johnnies You really don't hang out long. But if it's just a regular rest stop, you don't say, hey, this is almost as good as the vacation. No. You're like, we are only stopping through. But those who have made this world their heaven, they're trying to make this world their personal paradise. They're trying to recreate Eden, if you will. They just march on. And they seem to have the, 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 the psalmist saying, look, everything they, touch is tur- everything they touch turns to gold. They've got it made in the shade. They have so much success. They have so much fun. They have so much pleasures. They have the best of life. And I'm clipping coupons. Right? You ever felt that way? Read Psalm 73. Asaph feels the exact same way. He says it's even worse. Even they don't have pain, he says. At least he thinks that. They seem to have no thought whatsoever that God will someday bring judgment. doesn't even cross their mind that there is a judgment day. Remember Jesus told in the parable the man who just kept building bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns. And in our vernacular today, that's adding the house in Aspen, that's adding the house in the Caribbean, that's adding the house in the wine country of France, that's adding one in the north in California, adding one in Hawaii. You know, I, I, I don't, I've never been in that, but I've met people that are in that shred. I've talked to them, and, and it's nothing to them to talk like that. Yeah, we got one in Central Park. For those of us not rich, and that's probably all of us here, if you are, we're glad you're here. But um, for those of us not rich, I still think God would speak to us, let's not add more junk, more sheds, and more stuff in the attic. And more storage unit. Why do we need more storage units out there? How is this possible? They're one of the most ugly eyesores I ever see, and we got we, they're going springing up all over the place. Like, I thought we needed houses. We're about I, last I heard we're, we're about I want to say five million homes short of what the nation needs. Can we stop buying storage units and just build houses? Why are we storing that stuff? All bonus material there. Sorry about that. Um, look at look at the rest of these uh, verses uh, six through ten. So in verse 5, it says that your judgments are far above, bottom of verse 5. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. This is, again, the hard-hearted, wicked person that just kind of hardens his heart towards God. Verse 6, he has in his heart said, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. That is a really filthy mouth, isn't it? Uh, Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. The writer is making it really clear this is a tongue that wags itself against anybody, bravado, 
arrogance, evil, I don't get mad, I get even type thought. Verse 8, he sits in the lurking places of the villages, no compassion whatsoever. In the secret place, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. When a lion tears something apart, it has no sympathy for the small animal, whatever. Blood covered, doesn't matter. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws them into his net. No compassion for poor would wring every last penny out of them if he could. Evil, isn't it? So he crouches, as he lies low that, it, that the helpless may fall by his own strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Some, in their acquiring, and not just of wealth, Sometimes it's power. Of course, if it gets to a certain level, it has to be power. It has to be position. It has to be control. But people that move up to the point, you know, Mao Zedong used to be a farmer. How did he become a murderer of millions? Hitler was an artist at one time. You know, how do you go from artist to mass murderer? But... Eventually, the Bible makes it clear that they can become heartless, just as heartless as a wild beast. We can't believe how someone can become like Pharaoh and mock God and kill people in an instant, or Hitler, or Vladimir Putin, who's not phased in the least. Now, he's not phased by children dying, or starving people, or innocent people running from their homes, running for their lives, or innocent people slaughtered or mothers weeping doesn't phase him at all he lies right on his pillow out no those that worship the things of this world will eventually worship themselves Satan's greatest deception get a person just to worship themselves just like Pharaoh Pharaoh thought he was a god he thought he was like Ra he thought he was like Isis not the ISIS of today. It was a god in Egypt. Kim Jong-un of North Korea, he believes he's a god. I don't know if you guys know, he really believes, he, they have to worship him in that country. They have statues of him. He believes he's a god. His father believed that and his grandfather believed that. It was all the way back to the Korean War. While Kim Jong-un eats steaks and caviar, people are tortured in dungeons. Doesn't bother him a bit. Completely callous. Like a wild animal. Xi Jinping of China, he's not bothered that millions in high-rise apartments are wailing and screaming because they're trapped. And literally, in some cases, they are bolting them in. Drilling iron bars in the front doors that people can't leave the building whatsoever. People jumping to their death. Doesn't bother him a bit. Is COVID real? Yes. Is this psychological warfare? You better believe it is. It is to his own people, and it is, it's a message to the whole Western world. I don't have time to get into that. But nevertheless, he doesn't care. Now, these men and other deranged leaders, like them, and there's others in the world right now, they are planning for more death and more destruction. While you're planning for 4th of July, they're planning for destruction. While you're planning for the fall with college and high school and all this stuff, they're planning for death and destruction. The writer saw that he said they lurk in secret places while we're trying to just live life normal. They are setting traps. 
And our politicians in this country say almost nothing about some of these things. Not a word. They're hardly saying anything about what's taking place, especially in China, for example, because they have political goals. They have political goals. Many don't care about the innocent babies. It says innocent lives killed. We have mi millions of innocent babies killed inside the womb. They don't care because it's expedient to get votes and corporate donations. You want to get Apple's big bucks? You got to do it. You want to get Disney's big bucks? You got to do it. You want to get this company's big bucks? You got to toe the line. Doesn't care if it's innocent blood, but God cares. And then in verse 11, the psalmist thinks aloud. He thinks out loud here. He says, he is said, speaking of these evil individuals, he thinks in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see. I think, the psalmist is like saying, I think I see how this evil is expanding, how it persists. He gets in his, the psalmist says, I think they've convinced themselves. This is the, I'm putting myself in the mind of the psalmist here for a second. I think they convinced themselves that God has somehow forgotten about sin and has forgotten about the sins of this world and has forgotten about individuals that are committing those sins. God has not forgotten. Amen? He's not forgotten. It's a self-deception, but Satan's glad to help you with the self-deception. True? Satan's more than happy to, if you already want to be self-deceived, he's more than happy to add assistance and your self-deception. More than happy. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, no matter what Americans say, well, I don't believe that there's a creator. I believe we evolved from an amoeba. God says otherwise. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. If Satan sees your heart is already going to foolish, he'll help it get to all the way dark. It was clearly seen so that we're, we're all without excuse. Everything the psalmist records in verses 1 through 11 are part frustration. I'm just thinking of the psalmist. He's looking at all this stuff. He wishes he could fix it. He can't fix it. You ever watch the news and wish you could reach in and fix it? And you're pretty positive you could do a couple of minor things that would have great impact. But even those little minor things, nobody will do. I got one for the school system. It's in the Bible. Our school system threw out prayer and everything else years ago. Years ago. The Bible has one, it's like a, it's like a stick of dynamite. But no one's telling our young people this. The Bible says, Honor your father and mother that your days would be long upon the earth. Nobody tells kids that anymore. It is as true, matter of fact, in a sense, nothing's more true, but its, its truth is magnified by the collapse 
on the back end of our decisions. If you would instill that, teachers and principals and parents said, honor your father and mother that your days would be long upon the earth. Just that alone. It's the only, for one of the early commands, with a promise. I'm even reminded, as my parents are aging now, it reminds me to still honor them because I'd like to stay here as long as you want me, Lord. But everything the psalmist records, he sees all this going on. It's part frustration. It's part perplexed. It's part, Lord, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? Part bothered, part troubled by so much arrogance in the world, so much wickedness, so much godlessness, so much immorality, so much evil, so much pain, so much suffering. But then he moves to verse 12. He moves from pondering it all to pleading with God for intervention. Let's read these last few verses as we bring these last several minutes to a close. Verse 12. So he moves from pondering it all to, God, would you please intervene? Here it is, verse 12. Arise, O Lord! Exclamation in your Bibles. Arise, O Lord! Oh God, lift up your hand! Do not forget the humble. They're suffering under all this. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. Do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may oppress no more. He moves from pondering to pleading with God, and guess what? God will intervene. God has intervened many times since this was written. Wouldn't you not agree? This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. God has now intervened many times. If God didn't intervene, this world would have already killed each other. None of us would be here. The Bible talks about the restrainer being taken away. It would keep it from all disintegrating. Uh, but the fact that I can teach and preach tonight, this Psalm chapter 10, and that we can study it together, we can see what God wants us to understand, not only way back then, things are still the same now in that sense. The fact that we can read it together, study it, ponder it, is proof of his sovereignty, his power, and his grace. That it all makes sense to us because God's changed it from the inside out. Amen? We see it all kind of... That's, Lord, what you're trying to say. And in verse 12, he's saying, Arise, O Lord, it's as if to say, God, please stand up and act. Please stand up. Please stop the madness, the idolatry, the cruelty, the hypocrisy, the suffering. But then he says, Please stand up. Do not forget the humble. Oh, Lord, don't forget those that know, just like Abraham prayed over Sodom and Gomorrah, even as Abraham prayed in Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. Abraham remained humble as he interceded. That we, 
We know we're nothing. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, we know we're nothing. We know that we have nothing and that we have humbled ourselves at the feet of God for us now, post-Christ coming the first time, we're now, we've now humbled ourselves at the cross. We've humbled ourselves at his nail-pierced feet. That's what we're saying, the Lord, in the throne room of grace. We're like, God, you see all this? We've humbled ourselves. Please help us. We can't figure it out. We can't sort it out. We can't fix it. Remember us. Look at verse 13. It's a question. It's the third time we see why here. Why do the wicked renounce God? It's like, this is great. The first two start with why, and way down here, verse 13. Oh, by the way, and why, Lord? Why do the wicked renounce God? It's, um, it's like this when you ever pray. Oh, one more question. I totally forgot. You ever, you're rambling on, and you're like, oh, and I forgot. This is the whole reason I prayed in the first place. You ever do that when you're praying? I forgot. Let me add this in. But verse 14, verse 14 there, but you have seen and you have observed, you have seen, you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. It's to say, God, I know that you see everything. You'll eventually replay, repay things. You'll eventually balance the scales. But all the helpless and all the fatherless and all the oppressed, uh, those that commit to you and count on you, that you will care for them. You will help them. That's why we want teams to get back into Bonaire, these kids that are incarcerated. Because if they come to know Jesus, they'll have the father they never had. They'll have the help they've never had. They'll have the Savior. That's why we have a heart for single moms. God won't abandon them. He will bring them in. The psalmist is appealing to the nature of God. Then we have verse 15. This isn't the softest prayer you'll ever see. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. This is, we don't know if David wrote this one. We, some of them we know for certain David wrote. We don't know if David wrote this, but it's classic language from David. Uh, there was times when he would get fired up and pray like that. Break the arm of the wicked, root out all the wickedness, if you will. Uh, but of course, this is prompted by the Holy Spirit. This is prompted by the Spirit of God because God, in His righteousness, sees what needs reward and what needs punishment. It reminds us that although God is all love and God is all love, He's also all holy. As a matter of fact, the angels. They're in the throne room. They don't say love, love, love. They say holy, holy, holy. They never stop saying holy, holy. They do not say love, 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 even though God is love. The Bible is very clear. John, the Apostle John writes an entire epistle about it. We know God is all love, but his holiness cannot tolerate sin. Do we all understand that? His holiness cannot tolerate sin. Can't be in his presence. And a holy God will judge unrepentant sin. So the, the Holy Spirit is prompting the psalm, psalmist to write this. The psalmist already mentioned that the wicked gives no thought about judgment. They put it out of their mind. But that judgment will come. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of your hand. 
no matter what we see, the Lord is king yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen? No matter what we see, he's king yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. He sits above time, above space, above the universe, above the nations. He's already judged. It says, um, uh, you've perished, uh, the nations have perished out of your hand. He's already judged many nations. He, he already rooted out many of the Canaanite nations a long time ago. He's already judged Persia, Babylon, Rome, Greece. America is in line, as is many other nations. China's in line. Russia's in line. We're all, we're all going to take a ticket. You and I, if we're saved, our ticket is to heaven with Jesus. Amen? But judgment will come. He's already judged many nations, and more nations are yet to be judged. The wine press will be pushed in eventually. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 23, it says, Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with a fury. A continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. God will give everyone the opportunity to repent, but many will say, thanks, but no thanks. And there's, by the way, for us, for all of us, there is nothing healthier than a healthy fear of the Lord. I taught a little bit of this uh, down in the um, Outer Banks on Sunday night. That, um, man, a healthy fear of the Lord, awe, respect for God, it's so healthy. It doesn't mean you're scared of God. It means you re- have reverence for God. It's like a, a, a ball player has a great respect for a coach that says, you won't get away with that, but I'm going to make you the best you can possibly be. And that's it's a healthy respect. It's a fear. It's an awe. Verse 17, we're going to bring it to a close. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. And then verse 18, to do justice to the fathers and the oppressed that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Um, verse 17, it's a verse of confident assurance that God will take a heart of sincere humility. And brother and sister, and those of you watching online, you can start with just a mustard seed of humility, just like faith. Just, a t- just say, Lord, I'm endeavoring the best I know how to humble myself before you. Just making the prayer is a great start. Uh, and, and from that, just lower, just like we, we get on our knees Sunday to pray, it's just say, Lord, it's a posture of the heart. And when we humble ourselves, he will prepare us. He will change us. He'll refine our desires. It says, you have heard the desire of the humble. He'll change our desires when we humble ourselves. Uh, he'll hear us. And thereby he will help us and protect us. God hears. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Of course, he hears us as well. Responds to us. Oh, the fine line, the fine line between remaining in sin and wickedness and being rescued from it by humbling ourselves. That's where it all started. We all had to say, Lord, I humble myself at the feet of Jesus. The fine line of being trapped to being released. To being a vessel of God's wrath to a child of God in love. It's a fine line. It all takes place in the invisible realm of the heart. No one else can see your heart. Only God can see it. As I mentioned at the men's conference a few Saturdays ago, it's so 
important. If we do not admit, we cannot submit to God. If we do not admit where we're at, admit our real mistakes, admit our real attitudes. If we, and this is even after salvation. We have to keep admitting God. No, that was my fault. I was prideful. I didn't do this. Lord, it's, please forgive me. And he will. He, but if we cannot admit things, we cannot submit to the Lord. And that humility and that confession that started at salvation but continues through our sanctification as we continue to admit our own wretchedness and our own need and our own bad motives at times. We all have them. Let's just be honest. Because we're human. Say, Lord, I admit it. Help me. Change me. But God takes our sincere... I'm speaking to us as brothers and sisters as a close here. But God takes our sincere, tiny steps of humility, keep humbling ourselves, keep humbling our hearts before the Lord. He takes those tiny steps, and He takes us so much further than we ever could have gone. He puts us on a conveyor belt, if you will, of His grace. I love this quote from Amy Carmichael. She says, If by His enabling, we desire to do His will, so we need His enabling, but if, we des- if by His enabling, that came with salvation, that came with the Holy Spirit being planted in us. If by His enabling, we desire to do His will, then we may leave all the torturing thoughts and rest our hearts on Him. We can leave all the tortures, why we can't figure this out, figure ourselves out, figure the world out. We can leave it all with Him. Say, Lord, Enable me to desire to do your will. In other words, we can trust that he'll take care of all that concerns us, all that troubles us. We just stay humble and yielded while we wait on him. Brother and sister, God can be trusted. The psalmist knew it. Wobbled, tottered for a little bit, but came back to realizing, came back to center, we can be confident and trust that he'll resolve every injustice, even the ones we say, hey, well, let's ever be fixed. He'll resolve all the injustices. He'll even help those that we want to help, that we wish we could help, that are halfway around the world and we couldn't help and we want to, by the means of prayer. And he'll be faithful to the fatherless and all others that turn to him because he indeed is the only one that can, and he indeed is Lord of all. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again in your word. Lord, even the things that I can't explain in this text, and there's plenty of it, but Lord, we pray that you would just continue to reveal even those things that we, Lord, grow downward. Our roots of humility grow downward, that the fruit would be outward of being conformed to the image of Jesus, which is the opposite of the godly man, which is the opposite of the spirit of Antichrist that we see in this text. But Lord, that we would be the humble and the helped by the Lord who's over it all. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.